1: Support for Away With Words comes from MOSI Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crash, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Visit MOZY.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And
2: I'm Martha Barnett. The latest linguistic fad sweeping Japan is trying to master English by studying the speeches of Barack Obama. Grant, you know, there's a collection of his speeches that's a runaway bestseller in that country. And there's one enterprising English teacher who offers a six-month program based entirely on Barack Obama's 2004 speech to the Democratic National Convention. He breaks the speech down into 120 units, and you have to finish each one before you can progress through the program. It's wild.
1: Sounds like a lot of work.
2: Yeah, but it's this craze in Japan now.
1: Martha, that reminds me of the crazy English fad in China. Did you see that New Yorker article from last year?
2: I saw it. I haven't read it.
3: There's a it. fellow
1: by the name of Li Yang who has for a couple decades now been leading these I guess you'd call them massive classes. They're almost like rallies for English, where you know it's not a classroom with the chalkboard and textbooks and everybody kind of quiet. He'll do things like stand up on chairs, they have a picture, and they'll stand up on the chair and shout, and everyone in the audience repeats after him and it's it's more like motivational speaking uh, about English speaking. It's kind of weird. So they the, the quote in the article, he's, he's shouting at the top of his lungs, I, and the crowd shouts, I, back. And he says, would like to take your temperature. Because he's, you know, that crowd is doctors. He's teaching doctors how to Ow. speak English. And it's crazy. He's made a mint off of it. It's a big phenomenon. You know, Of course, in the run-up to the Olympics, which, of course, now are over, there was this mandate in China for so many people to learn English, and this was one of the ways that they were doing it.
2: Well, it's crazy the way people learn English, isn't it, from other, other countries?
1: Yeah. You know, there are so many places where rote memorization is a, is a technique that they believe in, and there are other places where they don't believe in that at all. And, of course, there's always the living dictionary approach. You know what that is. The
2: long-haired dictionary approach?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's where yeah, you, you take a lover who speaks the language and it, go from there.
2: Very handy. You get a great <laughs> accent, at least. Your vocabulary might not be that big, but your accent can get really yeah. good if you're, if you're learning through pillow talk.
1: <laughs> That's true. Well, if you want to tell us how you learn English best or any language, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward
2: Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words.
1: Hi, this is Rob from Burlington, Wisconsin. Hi, Rob. Hi, Rob. What's going on?
4: Hey, same old thing. I'm actually uh, in the hangar uh, building an airplane right now.
2: Oh, I see. So you're you're a pilot. That's right. Interesting. Well, why are you calling us?
4: Well, I'm also an aviation history buff, and for years, I've been flying a long time, never really figured out where the term Roger Wilco comes from. Now, I know what it means. It means I understand and I will comply. That's the Wilco part. And we really don't use Wilco anymore, but we say Roger all the time,
3: Mm
4: -hmm. Uh, meaning I understand. Mm -hmm. But I've got a guess of where it comes from. All right. But I really haven't pinned it down. My guess is a lot of the letters we say over the radio sound alike, like uh, B, C, D, P, V, and T. So we spell it out, a phonetic alphabet, uh, Alpha Bravo Charlie Delta. I'm guessing that uh, in the earlier years, that alphabet was different. Adam, Baker, Charlie, David, maybe, and R may have been Roger. But, boy, that is as far as I can go. Why you use R for, I
1: understand, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That is exactly oh, right. Uh, and, and you're right, it was the early days. Uh, as far back as the 1920s, you can find any number of these. Alphabets. The The U.S. Coast Guard and the Navy had one. The British Armed Forces had another. There were some used by the ham radio operators or whatever the equivalent was at the time. Um, Abel Baker, Charlie Dog was one of the first um, kind of sequences and one of those alphabets. But the R is kind of a double abbreviation. So R was a Roger. So you would say Roger to indicate R, which stood for Received. Very good so it's kind of a, a second hand way it's a double substitution' it's a kind of a double mm-hmm. abbreviation. It took quite a while decades for these alphabets to be synchronized and all become the same. The one that you listed um, it was alpha say it again please alpha alpha bravo charlie something. delta the aviation one yeah. yeah the 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 more the modern one actually is now is now international. As you well know, the language of flying is is English, and so most pilots around the world will know that one, at least if they fly internationally. Now, tell me something. I I understand that Roger Wilco is redundant. and You wouldn't say it anyway.
4: Uh, Well, you would say, Roger, I understand, or I've received it. Wilco means I will comply. I will do what you ask. Mm
1: -hmm. But if you're saying Wilco, it automatically, implicitly in there contains the idea that you did receive the message. Right. I received it,
4: and... I guess you could disagree and say, "Oh no, I won't do that." I, yeah. I won't go, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, right. Wilco.
4: Yeah, no, Wilco. No, no will go. Yeah. But uh, but so Wilco, you you almost never never hear. Sometimes singly, um, if it's a casual situation, you'll hear it on the radio. Some will just throw out a Wilco.
2: Well, Rob, I would say over and out, but that's that's a no no too in aviation, isn't that correct?
4: Over and out, we don't really say anymore. Now, occasionally, we'll say over, but uh-huh. never over and
2: out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I once got called to task for saying over and out. <laughs> So I won't say that, but it's been great talking with you.
4: Oh, you too, and thank you so much for a great show. You guys do a great job.
1: Okay. thank you so much, Rob. Glad to hear it. Thanks all right, lot.
4: clear skies and tailwinds to you. Well, all right. <laughs> Same to you. Bye bye. Bye
1: bye. Well, you know, I've collected a few. Aviation terms here and there over the years, never systematically, but that sounds like a gold mine to me.
2: I'm, I'm watching you fan yourself <laughs> in my mind.
1: <laughs> one, one that we didn't mention is the way that pilots say nine as niner, and it, it's exactly yeah. what Rob was saying. It sounds too much like five unless you add that second syllable on the end, so you don't say nine, you say niner.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating to learn that. And Romeo was also used for R in the right. past, Right.
1: Actually, Romeo is currently the word for R in the standard alphabets. I'll tell you what, Martha, I'd love to take calls from anybody who's got a great store of language about their own professions. Yes, yes, uh, interesting yes, Interesting words, please. the kinds of things they just want to tell us.
2: Please.
1: You can send it to words at waywardradio.org, or you can give us a call at 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD.
5: Hello, you have a way with words. Hello.
1: Hi, who's this?
5: This is Barb Anderson.
1: Hi, Barb, how you doing?
5: Well, thank you. How are you?
1: Super duper. Where are you calling from?
5: Scottsdale, Arizona. All Scottsdale. right.
1: What what's happening in Scottsdale?
5: Well, I was I was going through Yuma on the way back from San Diego one day and and you guys suggested we call if we had any questions or prob- or issues that we had with the English language. And so I thought my big pet peeve is um, people who say I'm going golfing. Now, I being a golfer always thought it was you were supposed to say, I'm going to play golf, not I'm going golfing. I thought golf was a word that needed that helper bird of to play, play golf.
3: I mm-hmm. mean,
5: we don't say we're going footballing. We don't say we're going basketballing, but we do say we're going bowling. So I don't know. I've, I've debated it, and everybody says I'm crazy, but I think I'm right. I may be wrong, but I doubt it. Everybody says you're crazy. What do your fellow
2: golfers say?
5: They, I, it goes both ways. I mean, I hear, I hear some people say, yeah, you're right. I say, I'm going to go play golf. And then other people say, no, I'm going to go golfing. And I'm like, ugh, it just grates on me.
1: Mm, that's interesting. It I never occurred to me as a non-golfer. I had no idea. It, now, this isn't a fierce debate?
5: It, well, I make it a debate. Ah. I, I take it upon myself to make it a debate. Well, Barb, I find this
2: so interesting because I have run into this question before because there are some people for whom saying going golfing is like running your fingernails down the blackboard. That's what it feels for like really, you, right? Oh,
1: really? yeah. I, I, so, so Barb is not alone in this?
2: Not at all. And for the reasons that, that she said. We don't say I'm going canasta-ing. Or anything like that. (laughs) And in fact, I did read an interview with a copy editor for Golf Digest magazine, and she said rarely, rarely, rarely do they use the term golfing in that magazine. She thought that it seemed, especially among older golfers, now I'm not, not making any assumptions about you, <laughs>
5: Barb. Well, you, you can. It's okay.
2: Okay. How about more experienced golfers tend to, say, play golf? And she was saying that it seems that a lot of the younger players tend to say golfing. Well, Barb, yeah. if, if, if it makes you feel any better, I actually took my question to a woman who won the LPGA U.S. Open three times.
5: Wow. And her age would be?
2: Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what her age would be. It's it's probably around mine, but I asked her about this because I was really curious. She said, it just means that they're interested in what you're doing, but they're not really part of the culture. So
3: I thought Uh that was really... Uh Oh,
5: I love that. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Yeah. So if if you're really on the inside track, then you say, I'm going to go play golf. Right. But if you're a wannabe, you're going golfing.
2: I think that that is how a lot of the more experienced golfers feel. And as I said, Golf Digest rarely uses that word. And um, so so it's interesting. It's kind of uh, the mark of...
1: I'll tell you, though, this is definitely one of those things that I've never heard of. I'm interested in the fact that there might be a dispute here. And I think your cultural explanation is right on the money, Martha. I think there may be something to that. So I'm definitely going to keep my eyes peeled for more information about... Is it insiders only who say play golf and outsiders say golfing? It's interesting.
2: I would love to hear from your fellow golfers to see what they have to say about it. So thanks okay. for bringing this up.
6: Thank you. All right. Take Talk care. to you guys later.
1: Bye-bye. Well, golfers do tell. Let's find out. Give us a call at one 929 9673 Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or drop a message into our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Here's something you'll love, Martha. There's a great book on the Internet Archive that you should see. It's called intensifying similes in English, which I know is a really boring title. Oh, but but... the
2: movie was great.
1: (laughs) Really? There was a movie. Who did it? (laughs) Ingmar Bergman, right?
2: It was a Bollywood
1: production. No, it wasn't. I say that because the author of this book, which was published in 1918, was a Swede, T. Hilding Svartengren. It's great. He's gone through English, basically for his doctoral dissertation, And drawn out similes from a massive quantity of literature, and he's uncovered some gems that I think that you should start using, and Uh I'll wait and see if they catch on, and then I'll follow your lead, okay? (laughs) Okay. All right. So if someone's not that bright, you would say they're sharp as the corner of a round table, meaning not that bright at Uh all. Uh-huh.
2: Okay. Or
1: you could say that uh, a sad person is pulling a face as long as a fiddle.
2: Oh, that is sad.
1: (laughs) Or you could say somebody who is blunt spoken is as stunt as a hammer. Stunt. Yeah, stunt. It's just another way of saying blunt. Okay. It's kind of short for stunted. Mm-hmm. No, you don't like that one?
2: Not as much as the long face fiddle.
1: Well, okay. The book again is Intensifying Similes in English, which can be found at nocharge at archive.org.
2: Yeah, it sounds like fun. I'll have to check it out. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about similes, metaphors, or other turns of phrase, give us a call, the numbers one-eight seven seven-nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Stump the radio host. Here comes a word puzzle. Stay with us. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett, and we're joined once again by our quiz guy, Greg Pliska. Hiya, Greg.
1: Howdy, Greg. Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant.
2: Greg, what do you have for us?
7: I have uh, a puzzle, one of my favorite puzzle types, the odd one out puzzle. Mm. The title itself is an example of the kind of puzzle it is because one word in that title doesn't belong. Odd one out puzzle.
2: Okay, so this is like the Sesame Street song.
7: Yes.
1: One of these things is not like the others. Which one doesn't belong? So is that something to do with the spelling or the meaning or pronunciation or any of those? It
7: could be any of those. I think in today's puzzles, I have no meaning-based ones. So it's all going to be about spelling or lexicography in some way, something. Some uh, kind of structure, syntax. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Morphology. Morphology would be the Mm. word I was looking for. Um, So in that title, odd one out puzzle, which one does not belong?
1: Well, puzzle, because it doesn't begin with an O.
7: Puzzle is the odd one out. It doesn't begin with an O. And it's not three letters. And it's also six letters long. Yes. Oh, that's it. okay. It might be useful to write these down so you can look at them while you're working. So okay. everybody sketch, grab sketch. a pencil. Right. And uh, in most cases, the odd one out will have the opposite property of the ones that are in. Okay. Or okay. as close to opposite as I can get. Okay. All right. Here's your first one. Dove. Job. Polish and some.
2: How are you spelling some?
7: S O M E. Good question, though. Dove,
2: job. Um, I would say that. Whoa.
1: Ah, uh, there's. Th- Go ahead. So there's, dove could be Dove. Mm-hmm. Job could be Job. Mm-hmm. Polish could be polish and some right. can't be pronounced differently. exactly. Some can only well, be
7: some done. S-U-M. Right, it could be it could be it's a homophone of another word right. spelled differently. Right. But right. It, you can't change the o sound to a long o no, and right. get another some. It doesn't really work. Word. Okay, how about uh this one? Almost biopsy, chintz, C H I N T Z and sponge.
2: Good gracious. Almost, biopsy, chintz, and sponge.
7: What, look um, at the first three words. What letters do they start with? A, B, C. Uh. Ah, I see. So sponge is not in the alphabetical order? Mm-hmm. Well, specifically, look at, the, look at the alphabetical. What's going on with alphabetical order here?
2: So sponge is the odd one out. Oh. Is that what you're saying?
7: Sponge is the odd one out. But it, why? Because
2: it why? should be dunge.
7: No, there's something – there's a property about the words that has to do with alphabetical order. If you spell them, A-L-M-O-S-T –
1: Oh, I see. All the words in the all the letters in the word are in alphabetical order. Are in alphabetical
7: order, order, except in sponge, in which case they're in reverse. uh, Ah, I see. So they're not necessarily um, one right after
1: the other, but they. But they are. They are alphabetical. Yeah, very good. Oh, well, you gave me the answer. (laughs) So congratulations, (laughs) Greg. You're doing very well. (laughs) (laughs) I got to keep you guys on your toes. This one's tough. Here's another set
7: for you: decade, dismay, margin. And novice.
1: Am I seeing something about Latin here?
7: I hope not. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um decade.
1: I see that three of these contain either the word for a month or abbreviation for a month. May and dismay, M A R and Margin, and N O V and Novice. But that can't. oh, D E R decade last yeah, year, de- decade. De- yeah. Oh, I see. Three of them contain the abbreviations for a month, and one contains the full name for a month. Correct. And the abbreviations are at Whoa. the beginning of the word, All right. and, and the full one is at the, the end. end. There we go. Okay, that I makes sense. I tried to put April
7: A P R at the end, but that's just so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a lot of words in that. No. <laughs> it's <an> April. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> How about one more, Greg?
7: Okay, I'll give you one more. Here you go. Attorney General, City State. Court martial and passerby.
0: Court.
7: That's a lot of writing, I realize.
1: Ah. Uh, it's the way you pluralize these. <laughs> yes. Attorney yeah. General, Court Martial, and Passerby are all pluralized on the first part of the compound. So it's attorneys general, courts martial, and passersby. But city state is pluralized on the last part of the compound, so it's city states. Exactly. Very oh. well. Well sussed out.
2: Nice work. Wow, Greg.
7: This was, was a
1: tough one, but I have to say I like the tough ones. I, you know, I'm trying to keep you happy one way or another. <laughs> you
7: are.
2: Believe well... me, we're ecstatic, Greg. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. A, a little <laughs> mind-bending. really bending, hard.
2: You
7: know? <laughs> These are always tough. I think they're much easier when you look at them than they are when you hear them, but you guys do a great job.
2: Oh, Greg, that was fun. Thank you.
7: Thanks again for having me.
2: Well, if you'd like to talk about grammar, slang, punctuation, or words and how we use them, this is the place. And the number to call is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. 929 9673
1: That's one eight seven seven wayward Or send an email to words at org. Hello, you have a way with words.
8: Yeah, hi, guys. This is Steve from um, Dallas. Hi, how are you? Steve. hi, Steve. What's up? A friend of mine and I were talking about the word yo, and uh, it. Came up recently, well, recently, in, it, like in the last 10 years or so, in um, pop culture, "Hey yo" as a, uh, I guess, a, a slang expression. And um, I am from the uh, New York area, uh, of a like Jewish background, and he is actually black from um, Canada. So I was really kind of, um, you know, like put off when he said, "Hey, the like origin of yo is actually from the um, Lower East Side in the uh, New York area about the turn of the century," and figured that you guys may have some um, insight on that.
1: So your friend said this. He told my you My friend that. said this, yes. And, and, and you, you're about how old? How, how, how old I'm is about he? 38.
3: Okay.
8: My dad, who was a bit older for a dad, for someone who was I'm 38, was actually born in 1926. After we had this conversation, I, I remember hearing my dad say yo a lot and then thought, well, you know what? Maybe there is some truth that it played into the uh, uh, you know, like Jewish culture at the turn of the century.
1: And your friend, he was from Canada. A he black man he from grew Canada. up in,
8: in like Canada. He's a bit of a uh, um, uh, pop culture person, uh, hip hop, and he actually grew up in a Jewish suburb in uh, Toronto. So mm-hmm. he was kind of uh, like knowledgeable about some of the same things that I was. Uh, obviously, we come from certainly you know you know like backgrounds that vary. But um, yeah, he was the one who who told me about that.
1: That's it's really interesting to hear that. It's not a theory that I know, which is mm-hmm. why it's interesting. And there has been a a little bit of work done on yo, Mm -hmm. and I know all the major historical dictionaries have some treatment of it. It's not an origin story that I've ever heard, that it ever came out of. But here's here's some background that kind of might explain why somebody might think that. Okay. As far back as the 1930s, we have in the written record instances of yo being used, for example, Uh in roll calls in the military. There are books about life in the army, for example, where Uh they go through the list of all of these guys, uh-huh. and one says yes, and the other one says yeah, and the mm-hmm. next one says yo when their name is called, right? Interesting. And so you'll still find that today, even you'll even see that in uh, modern classrooms, kids yeah. sometimes, will, as a goof or a, a joke, will just say yo when the teacher calls their names. That's true. Or yeah. Present. You will present. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it's strictly <laughs> a roll call thing. But but the history of yo is so complex because it's such a simple word right. that I don't think that we could even say that that's the origin of it. Um, for example. In the printed record, we see it being used as a greeting as far uh-huh. back as the 1950s. Really? We see um, it appear a little bit later in the Yo, Vinny stereotype, which is a lot yes, of... Totally. of yes, yeah, well, yeah, for a lot of people, that's why they think it's associated with New York, because they know Yo, Vinny from, from all these stereotypes that have been... Um, Welcome back, Carter. Yeah, sure. sure yeah. Vinny Barbarino. For true true or not, uh, you know, I'm not going to say... I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but let's just say it's a stereotype and... Uh, And uh, for a lot of people, it's fixed in their minds as if it's true. Uh And, you know, then we have the yo in hip-hop, which also, as far as I know, also came out of New York. Very rich history here. Uh But it's no coincidence that all of these stories, including the one your friend told you, Uh come from New York. Because Uh this has been, for more than 100 years, kind of um, a gateway for all American culture. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, the, the use... Of yo by your father. Is this just a greeting of yo? Like, uh, yo, Steve, what's up? Is it that kind of yo? No,
8: it was more to get someone's attention. Hey, yo, over here. Yo, yo,
1: yo. uh, Stop the truck. Stop the truck. That kind of yo. My dad was an old Jewish guy. He didn't exactly do it that
8: way. Right, okay. (laughs) Okay. Hey, yo. (laughs) It was more like that.
1: Okay, uh-huh. but that kind of use of yo mm-hmm. is even older than all of the yos that we've been talking about. Okay, that goes back hundreds of years. Really, the yo used to catch people's attention or to say goad uh, a person to do something or even an animal to do something. Say, if you're hunting or working mm-hmm. on a farm, that kind of yo mm-hmm. is goes back to easily to the 1600s. Really. Maybe even uh-huh. older. Yeah. Because it's a short, simple utterance uh-huh. of a single uh, really a single thing is happening there. And right. those kinds of things come naturally and pass easily from person to person. Interesting. So not and
2: specifically Yiddish or anything like that. No. Necessarily. no. There's, uh,
1: there's nothing in any of the reference work that I've ever seen that, that connects this to Yiddish. But you know, I'm I'm always open to new evidence. And if you talk to your <laughs> oh, that's seriously, fantastic. if, sure if you talk to your friend about this and he says, you know, I've got a book that he should read, let me know. I'd love to read it. Okay, fantastic, guys. Thank you so much.
8: You're welcome, Steve. Steve. Thank you for
1: calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, Martha, as you can hear, this is always an interesting topic because it plugs into so many places in American history. Yo. Uh, we're ta- what are we talking? We're talking about the stereotype of Italian New Yorkers. We're talking about hip-hop. We're talking about the military. We're talking about the Jewish quarter in the Lower East Side of New York, right? Love it.
2: Love That's it. It's great.
1: It's super-duper. Well, if you've got a question about something that you heard was true, but you're just not sure, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or you can send your language questions to words at waywardradio.org.
0: Hi. You have a way with words. Hello. This is Grace Rahm. Hi. Lawrence Grace, what you call Texas.
1: Tyler, Texas. How are things in Tyler?
0: They're wonderful today.
1: Super. Glad to hear it.
0: Well, what's on your mind, Grace? Well, I have a question about the proper usage of the word lay and lie. And even worse than that is I can never remember what, what time to use what word. So do you have any helpful tips?
2: Oh, Grace, there are millions of people who are standing up and cheering, saying, thank you for asking that question. I've been for... wondering that, too.
1: Wait, this question's about lie and lay, as in what, you know, lying down, laying right, down? Right, right. Like,
0: um, well, if you go to see uh, a counselor or a therapist, and I don't mean the psychiatric kind, but like a physical therapist, and they should they say, please lie down on my table or please lay down on my table?
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, the answer is, please lie down on my table. And I can tell you an easy way to remember this. Okay. Okay. For the present tense of lie and lay, I want you to remember it by thinking about the vowel sounds of these words. Okay. Lie means to repose or recline. I lie oh, on the table. Recline and lie. I, I can do that. Right. Great. And then lay. Think about the fact that lay means to place. So you place a book on the table. Okay. Or you lay a book on the table. Does that make sense? Any object, a pen, anything. Right. Okay. Right. And, uh, but, but then yesterday, what did I do? Ah, you're getting into the past tense now. And that gets tricky. You're right. That gets tricky because in the past tense, lie is sort of a liar. The (laughs) (laughs) the word lie is a liar because the past tense of lie tries to fake you out because it's lay. Yesterday, you lay on the table. Today... Not
0: laid or lain. I lay. Correct.
2: Yesterday, you lay on the table. Today, you lie on the table.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? It makes sense. Usually, these things come to me easily. My mother was an English graduate, and and they sound bad in my ear if, if it's not correct, but it's still hard to recognize how the past tense especially should sound. Well, you're absolutely right. And
2: you know what we're going to do, Grace, to help you out and help out the other millions of listeners who have this same
1: question? We're just going to make them both the same. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Can we do that?
2: I don't know if we have the power to do who that. Do we I, call to I, fix that? <laughs> but I tell you what we should do, Grant. I think that we should put on our website, waywardradio.org, a chart that has those different tenses and uses of lie and lay, because sometimes you just have to see it visually. And I think we could just put a little chart, put little dotted lines around it, so, Grace, you could clip it out and tape it to your computer, or better yet, laminate it and carry it around in your wallet.
0: It won't um, yeah. take long, and I'll be able to remember it, I'm sure. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, don't remember, maybe it's a third grade we studied there. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. It probably is in their text right now, but that would be a great idea.
1: Okay, let's yeah, do that. A little refresher always helps, right?
0: Yes, thank you so
2: well, Martha, much.
1: You, Martha, you make it, I'll post it, all right?
0: Okay,
2: okay great. You got it. Grace, all right. thank you for thank your call. You. bye-bye. Okay. All
1: right, bye-bye. So if the past tense of lie is lay. Right. And the past tense of lay is?
2: Laid.
1: Uh-huh. And then lane comes in.
2: I have lain on the table for okay. days, and there I'm tired go. of that. And I have laid um, right. books on the table every day this week. Yeah, so we're going to post that chart on our website. That's waywardradio.org. And in the meantime, if you have a question about language, you can call us. The number is one 929 9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
6: Hi, this is Stacy from Boulder, Colorado.
1: Well, hello, Stacy. What's going on?
6: Um, I just have a question about the phrase Nick of the Woods. As in, how are things in your neck of the woods? I was just wondering um, where that came from and what is a nick. How are you spelling that? I don't know because I've never actually seen it written down or just heard uh-huh. it. I would, I would guess, um, N-I-C-K.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. Ah, interesting, interesting.
2: And why were you wondering about this? Do you live in the woods, or
6: <laughs> no? It was probably just because I was listening to your show and it put me in a pensive sort of frame of mood and. And, and then you thought, fell asleep. I wonder where I came from. <laughs>
2: <Okay>. <laughs> well, yeah, actually the phrase is neck of the woods, not Nick. Oh, really? Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. N-E-C-K yeah neck of the woods and it just refers to a projection in the woods you know like um like we use the word neck to describe anything that's sort of long and projecting you know like the neck mm-hmm. of a bottle mm-hmm. neck of a violin and and uh, you know forests aren't um, symmetrical necessarily they have projections and and uh, irregularities and the phrase neck of the woods has been used for centuries now they, you also see neck of a meadow or neck of land that kind of thing to describe a uh, topographical features it used to be in this country in say the 19th century you could you could talk about people being in a particular neck of the woods specifically meaning part of a wooded area and then later it just came to mean any settlement in a wooded Um, area
1: but it's kind of fossilized right right now it's fossilized as neck of the woods we don't really that often say or hear or see neck of anything else used in that way do we right
2: Exactly. It's kind of jokingly rustic. I mean I might talk about Grant Howard things going in your neck of the woods, but right. <laughs> but it's New York yes. City.
1: There's the ramble in Central Park. Does that count?
2: <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so.
6: The woods of skyscrapers. Yeah.
2: So- yeah,
1: there we go. Sure. The forest of the city, the steel and the glass and the towers and stone, sure.
2: Mm-hmm. So Stacey, does that help? It's it's neck and not Nick.
6: Yeah, that does, That's um, good to know. Thank you. All
1: right. You're welcome. Thanks for calling, Stacey. Bye. Bye bye bye. Bye bye. We'd love to take your questions about language. Is there something that has you confused? Did you hear it one way but you found out it's another? Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven Wayward or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Martha, do you know the poem by John Gay called A New Song of New Similes? No. It's superb, and I'll just read the first part of it to you, and then you can go Google it. The first part goes, My passion is as mustard strong, I sit all sober sad, Drunk as a piper all day long, or like a March Hare, mad. Nice.
2: Oh, that has me grinning like a mule eating briars. <laughs> well, if you have a phrase you'd like to share with us, give us a call the numbers one or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Slang this and more of your calls. That's next on Away with Words.
1: Support for Away with Words comes from National Geographic Books, publisher of I'm Not Hanging Noodles from Your Ears, a collection of intriguing idioms from around the world by Jag Bala. Learn more at com slash noodles. You're listening to Away with Words, I'm Grant Barrett.
2: And I'm Martha Barnett. It's time for Slang This, the game where we try to stump a member of the National Puzzlers League. Today's contestant is the president of the National Puzzlers League. That's Guy Jacobson from Gridgewater, New Jersey. Hi, Guy.
3: Well hello, Guy. How you doing? Hello. Hello, Martha. Hello, Grant.
2: Hiya.
1: Is it powerful being the president of the NPL?
3: Oh, it's awesome. But you know, with great power comes great responsibility.
2: Mm-hmm. The million dollar mm-hmm. bonuses, yeah, what do you do with those? Well, you mm-hmm.
3: know, since they've um since we took the uh, the bailout package, my my salary has been cut down to half a million, but.
1: Oh. oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when the Sunday Times comes, you get to do the puzzle first? Uh, yes, I
3: do. In fact, <laughs> uh I get to do all the puzzles first.
2: Well, hey guy, do you have a favorite slang term for us?
3: Yes, I do, but it's a little bit blue. I hope that's all right.
2: All the better.
3: It's a term for farting. And it, the term is painting the elevator. Painting
2: um. the elevator? I've <laughs> heard, heard of that? peeling the paint, but painting well, the elevator? Well, no. here's,
3: here's the story I heard that went along with it. What happens is if you, if you enter an elevator by yourself and you happen to pass gas, then, you know, Murphy's Law will tell you that inevitably someone will get on the very next floor. Yeah,
1: someone right. very attractive, right? <laughs>
3: right. Uh, well, probably, yes. And they will someone look at had you had a, a little on. bit funny. You know, they'll scrunch up their nose and they'll... Look look at you, and then you'll have to think of some kind of excuse. So you say, they must be painting the elevator. <laughs> and then they roll their eyes, of course. And the great thing about this expression is that you can use it sort of as a code word if your family knows about it. So, you know, you're in a car, mm. and you're driving along, and you say, who painted the elevator? <laughs>
2: right, uh-huh. Right, right. That's what I love about this show, news you can use.
3: Well, let's see how you
1: do on a slang quiz. Okay. you ready? I'm going to give you a clue that describes one of two possible slang words or phrases, but only one of them is correct. If you need help, just um, badger Martha and she will rise to the occasion. I Very good. always do. Okay. Here we go. Here's the first one. In 1926, Variety magazine, that's the Insider's Journal of Hollywood, wrote, "...a fighter with round heels along Cauliflower Alley was a dame on rockers in another circle." what slang term were they talking about? Is it A, pogey, or B, pushover? So the sentence again is, a fighter with round heels along Cauliflower Alley was a dame on rockers in another circle.
3: Well, I mean, I'm going to have to do a little double think here, and pushover is too obvious. You wouldn't have asked if it was pushover, so I'm going to go with pogey. (laughs)
1: <laughs> do not, I don't do know. not try to get in my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I it's don't dangerous in there. Oh. Pogey <laughs> is spelled P-O-G-U-E-Y, and okay.
3: pushover. Of course, I have no idea what that is.
1: O-V-E-R.
3: All right. Well, so you to I'm going to stick with my guns and my and my my feelings here because if it was simply pushover, you you wouldn't have asked a question about it.
1: Game theory is a great thing to study in school because the answer is actually pushover. It is pushover. Oh, dear. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: it was an easy one. I gave you an easy one. I was hoping... It was a I real was hoping, pushover. You know, Variety magazine is known for this really stilted style of writing where they coin new words in practically every sentence, and sometimes it takes you a minute or two to kind of suss out what the, what they intend. And so I thought that sentence might be just enough to make a pretty simple question more difficult. But a pushover... Yeah, it is both a boxer who um, has a glass chin, that is, one who's easy to beat, and a woman of easy virtue. The idea is that either one of them needs just a nudge, and they'll fall over into the position that you want them. Okay. It's kind of crude, I know, but that's, it's not my slang. I didn't invent it. Um, a cauliflower alley, by the way, is a slang name of the boxing circuit.
2: Sure, like back, cauliflower ear, right?
1: Yeah, exactly, back in the day. Okay. All right, Guy, let's try another one, see how you do on this one. In American English, we might call something lame, cheesy, or tacky if it was poorly made, unstylish, or just vulgar. But in the United Kingdom, you could also call it what since the 1960s? Is it A, noodles, N-O-O-D-L-E-S, or B, naff, N-A-F-F?
3: Well, I've heard naff used, but I'm not sure I remember what it means. Um... And again, I think that was pro- it's probably what it is. I think NAF is. I'm going to go with NAF.
1: That's right. Exactly right. Where did you hear
3: it? I don't remember. You know, maybe on Monty Python or or somewhere. Or yeah, it's on, been around long, long enough that you will do. find
1: it in plenty of movies and books. And even even though it's a little old fashioned, it's kind of like groovy in the United States. People will still use it with the full awareness that it's a little old fashioned. I first ran into it about uh, 15 or 20 years ago in South America, and it's it's a, it's a very useful term, it's like the F-word in that you can do all sorts of things to it and make it all sorts of parts of speech and kind of put it to work.
3: Well, naff A. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank,
1: well, Guy, thank you for playing. It's, a, it's a, quite a pleasure. Uh, likewise. It was fun.
2: Okay. Right, Thanks, Guy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you have a question for us about words, language, grammar, slang, or maybe even bad language, give us a call. The number is 929 9673 That's one eight seven seven wayward Or you can send an email to words at waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words.
2: Hi, this is Karen from La Mirada. Well, welcome to the show. What are you calling about?
9: Well, I have a question on the expression trucking. I've been listening to some Jack Benny radio shows, and in a 1936 episode, I'm quite sure that I heard one of the characters say that she needed to take care of her father because the night before he had sprained his ankle trucking. And when I heard it, I did a double take because I was so surprised because I thought that was a 1970s expression.
2: Yeah, I'm picturing the R. Crumb guy spraining his ankle while he's trucking, <laughs> trucking,
1: T R U C K I N G, trucking.
2: That's what I think I heard.
1: Okay, trucking. Here's the thing: trucking was a dance craze. Oh.
3: Okay. So
1: if if who was the character was it was it Dennis it was, or
9: it was Mary Livingston?
1: Right. So Jack Benny's uh, female partner on the air. of so she's taking care of her father because he's been trucking. And so the joke is that he was out doing the hip new dance craze. And so uh-huh. obviously we're imagining a, a kind of senior person who doesn't have any agility and probably doesn't have the legs for it anymore. <laughs> that just makes
9: me laugh there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so trucking has a really interesting backstory. I won't get too far into it, but... It started in 1935, probably in Harlem, most people agree, although the person who came up with it has long been in dispute. You can read the black newspapers of the day all arguing endlessly about who deserves the credit for starting this dance craze. The trucking dance craze was so popular that by the end of 1935, in early 1936, uh, some form of trucking was being done in all of the Broadway reviews. It would it'd be the kind of thing that dance instructors would be hired to teach young, young girls in Park Avenue so they could do it at their debutante balls. Mm-hmm. It would just – and, you know, who knew? Who knew that – but, I mean, this was a period at which – they, you know dance crazes were a way that you sold albums, or sold songs actually because you sold them by the singles um, oh, you know, and it was a way that you packed the clubs when your band toured, so you would try to start a dance craze you 'd have a song to go along with it, and then you'd hope there'd be some kind of some kind of like um, synergy there, reinforcement. And people would buy your music and and come see your shows
2: so. oh man Ooh. now i 'm trying to know what trucking looks like right I ha- that's my question I, I
1: I dug a description up here while we're talking here. Listen to this. tell me if this makes any sense. One journalist described it as a fast-moving, shoulder-lifting, knee-action dance that makes the performer resemble a jumping jack. He called it a, a highly jazzical strut. And this is in 1935. More specifically, you hold your head high. Do this while I'm talking about I it. I am. I am. <laughs> hold your head high, kind of look up. Mm-hmm. Um, lift your left shoulder above the right, uh-huh. as if, and then put the right one down as if there's a heavy load on the right. Sway your back so that your torso is further back than your legs. And then, do as he puts it, a merry shuffling of the arms and legs and feet, and so you keep this tilted position, kind of shuffle along, and then some versions of it say that you point your right index finger upward <laughs> i 'm just reporting i 'm just reporting what was in the newspapers at the time and the interesting thing is, not only were there, the, the lot of, there was a lot of argument about who came up with it, but there were a lot of false origin stories, or maybe one of them was true i don 't know, but one of them which was published in Esquire magazine in 1936, claims that the trucking dance came from watching the stevedores pushing heavy luggage on the trucks, you know, the, the wheeled dollies, oh. on, the, on the wharves of New York. Huh. But trucking, that's what Mary Livingston was talking about. She you know, was talking about her aged father out there um, doing a crazy dance on the floor.
9: Oh, that's so interesting. Well, thank you so much.
1: You're welcome, and I'm glad to have another old time radio listener uh, come on the air with us.
9: Oh, I recommend them to everybody. It makes me laugh every day.
1: It's a goldmine of stuff when you realize that there are decades and decades of this stuff just waiting for you.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But you All listen right. to Away with Words, too. Right. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Same.
9: <Okay. laughs> Same genre, huh? <laughs> well, it's um, maybe more interesting. Maybe. There we go. Away <laughs> with
1: Words is more interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't yeah, know about yeah, Jack Bean. Yeah. I can't compete with that kind of talent. <laughs>
9: Well, you've got good writing, too. All right. you Aww, guys do a Good job.
1: Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for thank calling, you. Karen. Bye bye, Karen. Bye bye. Well, if you've got a question about something you heard in an old radio show, a movie, book, or whatever, and you can't make a sense of it, give us a call. 1 929 9673 or put it in an email to words at waywardradio.org.
2: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Dan
1: from San Diego. Hi, well, Dan. Hello, Dan. What's going on? <laughs> Not too much. My wife and I were watching
4: uh, Two and a Half Men on TV. And uh, John Cryer's character says to his son, don't sass me, uh, when the kid was talking back to him. My wife and I kind of thought of each other that that's such a strange statement, and what does sass really mean? And we tried to look that up, and we found it in the Oxford English Dictionary as impudence. And it suggested that the origins were from sauce, but we <laughs> looked at each other after we were like, Who would ever sauce somebody?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure.
2: There's a mental picture for you.
1: Exactly. Yeah. This is a great example of the subtle ways in which language changes. The verb probably springs from the use of sauce, the noun, which refers metaphorically to something that adds sting or bite to what you do or say, the same way that a sauce might add flavor or zest to your food, right? Right. There's a noun sauce and the verb sauce kind of like working hand in hand there, basically taking the same role but a different part of speech there. And so it's a direct reference to the food. It's a direct reference to the idea of making something spicy. So if I'm sassing you, I'm kind of putting vigor and energy and zest into our conversations by, like, kind of raising the bar a little bit, kind of like provoking you, right? With my impudence and my, my insolence and my petulance.
2: Sort of adding a little Tabasco to the yeah, conversation. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's really a direct reference to the food, and sauce becomes sass simply by a normal vowel change. It's kind of just a dialect pronunciation. Sass is a dialect pronunciation of sauce. That's it.
2: And so somebody who's sassy then is somebody who's saucy.
1: Yes, except with sassy and saucy, we've kind of had the two words diverge. Their meanings have forked over the centuries so that saucy tends to also have these undertones of flagrant sexuality where sassy doesn't. Oh.
2: <laughs> did you guys get that far in the OED? <laughs>
1: no, we didn't get that far at all.
2: <laughs> you went oh, back the, to two and a half I was, men.
1: I was going to say, when you hit the flagrant <laughs> sexuality part, usually the you have to move to another room of the house. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm
1: not sure I'm going to use this with my kid in the future now. <laughs> How's that? Did did it work for you, Dan? It did very well. Thank you all very right. much. Thanks for calling, Dan. Okay, bye-bye. bye right, bye-bye. bye-bye.
2: Anyway, if you have a saucy question for us, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org.
1: Martha, here's a simile for you, a little unusual, but if you know somebody who's always ready for a fight, you could describe them as fond of a raw place as a blue bottle. Now, a blue bottle is a type of fly that tries to lay its eggs in the open sores of livestock. So somebody who is as fond of a raw place as a blue bottle is somebody that's always kind of trying to get under your skin, literally.
2: Oh, that's great. That's great.
1: <laughs> sort of. And I should also mention, if you want something more modern, there's a book by Marty Grotha. That's how you say it, G-R-O-T-H-E, called I Never Metaphor I Didn't Like. So it's kind of the opposite side of similes.
2: Oh, and he's the chiasmus guy, right? He wrote I a think book so. About yes, that. indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you'd like to talk with us about language, give us a call. The number is 929 9673 or send an email to words at
6: waywardradio.org.
1: Hello, you have a way with words. Hi. Hello, Hi. who is this?
6: This is Brittany. I'm from San Diego.
1: Hiya, Brittany.
6: Hi, Brittany. Hi, how are you guys doing? Great. Great. Okay, well, my question is actually a little strange. Um, my dad's side of the family comes from Arizona, and they're from Phoenix, and they're from Tucson. And instead of saying wash, it's spelled W-A-S-H. They say the word wash, and they use it in all different contexts, the washing machine, washer your hands. And I was just really curious as to where that came from and why. uh uh-huh. In
2: Arizona. Are,
1: are they originally from Tucson?
6: You know, I think they are, and I know some of them are from Phoenix as well. But, yeah, they originally hail from Arizona.
2: So, pronouncing W-A-S-H like warsh, huh?
6: Uh-huh. It kind of sounds like you have a mouthful of marbles, huh? <laughs> sounds like you have a mouthful of marbles? Yeah. Warsh? Yeah, warsh.
1: <laughs> is that the only word that they say that way?
6: You know, it is. And I actually, I've been listening to them recently to uh, see if they pronounce anything else that way, but it's only warsh. Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe you should serve hmm. them butternut squash and see if they say squarsh. <laughs> because some people who say warsh do say squash.
6: I've never heard squash before. I've only heard warsh.
2: Yeah, well that that's just one of the weird things about this warsh pronunciation. It's um, it's perfectly natural to a lot of speakers in what we call the Midland dialect, which is which is a, a broadly defined area um, Pennsylvania west across uh, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio down into the Appalachians and then spreading westward. So I wonder if, um, if it made it all the way to Arizona with your family.
6: Yeah, I was just really curious because, you know, I thought it was normal my whole life, and then I was corrected by a friend's parents that are on 10 or so.
2: Ah, so you grew up saying Warsh as well. I, yeah, I definitely said Warsh quite a few times. Well, Brittany, if it makes you feel any better, it does have a name. It's called either the intrusive R or the epithet. Epithetic. I can't
1: even say it. That's all right. I do that all the time. Some of these words are only meant to be read, not to be spoken.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's an example of epenthesis, which is the insertion of a consonant there. And it's really weird, and linguists have kind of puzzled over this. And, and the best explanation I've heard is just basically that your tongue sort of anticipates that SH sound, and then it kind of curls a little bit. Warsh.
1: but but some some of that is happening though. It, it's the pronunciation is transmitted the same that other dialect features are trans- sure. transmitted. Sure, right? yeah, sure. So it's not that each person is coming up with this pronunciation on their own. They're learning it from their family, as you as you noticed.
2: Yeah, probably. exactly. In this area, there's a lot of uh, Scots Irish influence, and some people think that maybe that has something to do with the intrusive R in wash.
0: Oh, okay. Warsh. We
2: always say be proud of your dialect. Have you changed the way that you say? W a s h.
6: You know, I have because I was really embarrassed when I got corrected, and they actually spelled it out for me and said, "Look, there's no R in there." Had you thought about that before? You know, I had, yeah. Uh huh.
1: But English is so f- uh, so fraught with words that don't sound like they look that wouldn't shouldn't surprise anyone to come across another one, right?
6: Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well.
1: Thank you so much, Brittany. Thank
2: you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
1: Warsh. You don't I, I don't have that. I have a few family members who say that, but it's not one that I picked up from my family.
2: Yeah, I didn't either, although there were some people in Louisville who said Warsh. It's it was really weird.
1: It's funny that some of the wash sayers, the Warsh speakers, don't hear it in their own voices. They yeah, don't well, even Brittany know didn't. Yeah, they don't even yeah, they don't know that it sounds that way to other people. A lot of accents and a lot of dialect features are like that. We don't know that they're strange until someone else points them out. Call us about the thing that your family says that's so embarrassing one or send it secretly an email to words at waywardradio.org.
2: That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit MOZY.com.
1: If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime at 1 877 929 9673.
2: Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion.
1: Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it.
2: We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett.
1: And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. Ciao, Bye-bye.
8: Neither.
2: Let's call the whole thing off.
1: You like
9: potato. And I like patata. You like tomato, and I like
2: tomato, potato, potato. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask.
1: We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words. Your feedback is crucial.
2: It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better.
1: It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love.
2: That's gum.fm slash words.
1: Thanks for being a part of what we do.
2: Thank you.